Well, hey, uh, welcome everybody to Black Hawk Church. Welcome everybody live in the room right now. So good to be able to see you all. Welcome to everyone at our sites and venues who are joining us. Welcome to all of you are, who are online. It's great to have a chance to be together. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors uh, on the teaching team. And uh, okay, I have um, something I'd like for you to think about, really a question to throw out to you and an idea I just want to kind of have you mull around in your head. I want you to think of what is a food for you that you really love that like is made from scratch? Do you remember foods that are actually made from scratch? Like, like there is effort that is put into these type of foods. I'm not just talking like your everyday meal or something you would have. I'm thinking of things that take effort, you know, with ingredients that have to be put together and like have to have to like sit and simmer for a while, you know, something in a pot where all the flavors have to get to know each other over a period of time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of these, these are not your everyday foods. These are like special occasion types of food. Maybe something around a holiday or something like that that you might have out. For me, when I think of that type of thing, I actually think of Christmas time. I know it's August and I'm already talking about Christmas, but bear with me. I'm gonna take you down a little journey down Metzger traditions. And one of those traditions at Christmas are my mom's gingerbread cookies. These things, I can never remember a Christmas without there being my mom's gingerbread cookies, and they are absolutely amazing. We, I actually have a plate of them up here on stage right now. We made these over the last couple days. But here's the thing. These aren't cookies that you can just whip together. Like, the reality is there, there is a recipe that my mom has, and you have to take the ingredients. You take a bunch of ingredients. You put them in a pot, and they have to sit there and slowly make their way up to a boil, all of these things together. But they can't boil for too long, because if they do, they'll burn. But if it's not long enough, then the flavors haven't really gotten to know each other. You know what I'm saying? So they have to sit together. Then you have to take the flour and sift the flour in along with other ingredients until finally you have this great dough that has been sitting there on low heat. But then after it's on low heat, you have to take it from this pot, put it into a different bowl, and actually put it in the refrigerator. And it has to sit in the refrigerator for a long time. Normally it's like overnight until it finally gets to the right, you know, just the, the right temperature. And then once it's there, the next morning you take it out, roll out the dough. Of course, the dough, it's a little bit sticky, so like you have to put flour down, you know, so that it will roll and not stick to the, the pin. But if you put too much flour down, yeah, the cookies are gonna dry out. They're not gonna be any good. And you have to get it to just the right, you know, the, like the right depth, the right thickness. You make it too thin, they're gonna crack and crumble. They're gonna be no good. But if they're too thick, it's gonna be like just eating gingerbread cake, and who wants that? So you have to get it just to the right deal. Then you go ahead, you bring out the like the different little ornamental Christmas, you know, cookie cutters, and you cut them all, put them on a tray, you bake them. Once they come out, though, they have to sit until they're room temperature. And then once they get to the place of room temperature, you can go ahead and ice them. But once you've iced it, you can't eat them right away. They have to sit. And the icing actually kind of has to, like, harden a little bit. But then once it gets to that place, these cookies, they are amazing. I mean, look at this guy right here, you know? I know it's August, but um, <laughs> see, we thought about making enough for everybody, <laughs> but we didn't, so I'm just going to have to eat <laughs> in front of you all. You know, some of my favorite sermons, honestly, are the ones 
where I get to eat in front of everybody. And, uh, oh, it's just so good. And here's the thing. We would get, like, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to take a break now and just go backstage. And we, we would make these, and uh, we would polish off tons of them. I mean, like, they would be gone in days. My mom would make massive recipes because of how fast our family would go through these cookies. Occasionally, there would be someone special enough who would get a few, like someone not in the family who would get a few as a gift. And it's the type of food, I'm sure you've had something like this, where like you try it and you think, I've got to have that recipe. You ever had that? Like someone makes something for you and the main thing you're asking is like, okay, I need that recipe. By the way, the recipe is available. I put it up on my social media. For any of you who would like it, you can go ahead and go there and all the recipe is up there. But here's, this is the point I'm trying to make with this and all the other foods you're thinking of. Food like this that's made from scratch, specialty type stuff, it is complicated. It's not easy. But the end result, totally worth it. You know, I think that we can all think of things in our lives that we would say, I mean, not just food, but all kinds of things where you go, yep, complicated, totally worth it. You might have gone on a trip this past summer somewhere, and you look at the details around a trip, yeah, a lot of times it's complicated, but the end result of that trip, totally worth it. Or like um, family reunions. We had one for my family and one for Rachel's side of the family. Both, I mean, like 16 or so people who were getting together, travel plans from all around the country for everybody to be able to gather, and then meals and everything that happens. It's complicated, but the end result and the memories, man, totally, totally worth it. The thing that we're talking about today, the reason why I bring this up is because we are going to look at a particular psalm today. We're in this series, Psalms for the Summer, that we have been going through, and, and the particular psalm that we're going to look at today, actually, the, the main point that this psalm is making is actually, it's really foundational to the type of church that we want to be all together. And in fact, it actually points towards some different things that we're gonna try this fall to help our church become more this type of a church. Now, the interesting thing about the psalm, the psalm is like crazy short. Like it's three verses all together. This could be an eight minute message that we could give. I mean, three verses, it's making one point with then two kind of word picture illustrations explaining that main point. That's the whole psalm. But as short as it is, the point that the psalm is making is anything but simple. It is not a microwave meal. It's the type of meal that is complicated. But the end result, if we can get it right, man, so incredibly worth it. So in light of that, if you've got your Bibles, if you're looking on uh, some type of screen that you're going to be looking at the Bible on, turn with me to Psalm 133 right now. Psalm 133. Now, Psalm 133 is actually, it's a, it's a part of a, a, a section of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Lynn Beanick last week preached also on one of these psalms. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear her message, you need to go back and listen to it. But she went into a little more detail. But the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm, psalm 120 through 134, these 15 psalms, they were songs that were, were sung by the people of Israel as they traveled to Jerusalem for the three different festivals of the year. And this particular one really moved towards the idea of a vision for the people of God and hope of what that vision could actually move them towards. Psalm 133, three verses. Let's dive in to the, uh, the first verse together. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people 
live together in unity. So there, there you go. That's the subject that we're moving towards today. Today, we're moving towards the idea of unity. And I am guessing, for those of you who are listening right now, that brings up different thoughts and ideas. For some of you right now, you might be rolling your eyes going, are you kidding me? We're talking about unity. For others of you, you might get really excited about that. You know, I mean, <laughs> unity in a lot of ways is a loaded word in our world and our society today. And actually, it can bring up some different elephants in the room that I think are worth talking about. You know, I mean, for some of you, when you hear the word unity, the thing that like, you're thinking of, like, as I, as I talk about this idea of like all being together, like the main thing you think of is it's the ultimate cop outline. Like it's a way of being able to say, we're going to lock arms and love each other and we're just going to kind of bypass the evil that we can find in our communities together. And so instead of actually dealing with it, because we don't want to rock the boat, so instead we'll just sweep that stuff up under the carpet and sit there with our arms around each other, acting like those things happen and just pretending that everything is together. We're not going to call out evil. <laughs> but in reality, that's not the biblical idea of unity. If you go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're actually going to go there a couple times today because for our psalm we only have three verses, so we figured we'd pull some other passages in. Ephesians chapter 4 is another one who talks about this idea where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You see, what... what what Paul is talking about there is that we as the body, in other words, this community of people all connected together, unified, that the way that we become mature as a community of people together is when we speak the truth in love, not just sweeping stuff under the carpet, but actually dealing with the evil that happens in our world that we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds, becoming a different type of community by the way that we speak truth to one another. That's the picture that it's given. There's another elephant that's worth talking about as well. Some of you, you might think, oh yeah, sure. When I think of unity, the thing I think of is we all hold hands and stand in a circle and sing Kumbaya or Fahudores from the end of the Grinch Stole Christmas. And that's the goal. And the goal is that we're all just gonna look exactly the same. And that's not the biblical idea of unity either. Look, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity, like we have to realize the idea of unity came from a God who was so creative that he created different types of people and different nationalities and different people groups and different colors of skin, all sorts of different people who bring different things to the table. And through that, that all of us bringing our individual stories and our cultures and our societies, that we would make something greater together than we could be separate. But the reality of that is in a broken world, that gets really complicated. And yet, if we can get it right, David calls it good and pleasant. Let's go back to Psalm 133 for a minute. Look at that verse again. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. Like, you get this idea, the Hebrew words that are used there for good and pleasant. Good meaning, like, it, it brings God joy. And pleasant meaning that it actually brings us joy. And I picture David as he's sitting there writing about this, that he's going, oh, I just want people to understand how so good and so pleasant it is when we live together in unity. It's as if, 
oh, how can I explain it? It's as if, oh, I got it. And he comes up with these two word pictures that he uses to describe it. Go to verse two. He says, it's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. I mean, we look at those two illustrations and we go, what? <laughs> like, what exactly does that mean? Like, for a minute ago, we were talking about how good and pleasant it is. Now we're talking about, like, mountains and <laughs> oily beards, you know? Like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Okay, the thing we need to remember that we, if you're new around Blackhawk, you may not have heard this before. One of the things that we say a lot is that the Bible is something that is written for us, but not to us. It, it, in other words, it's a completely applicable to our lives and something that we should abide by within our lives, but written to us? No, we're not the original audience. So we look at mountains and oily beards and we're like, I don't get what that means. But to an original audience, hearing this poem by David, they would have gone, oh, I totally get it. You see, this picture of this anointing that took place of this person, Aaron. Who was Aaron? Aaron was the brother of Moses, the father of the people of Israel. And, and, and Aaron was anointed by God. He was the one who was appointed by God to be the original high priest of the people of Israel. And that took place by this weird custom that they had back then of anointing people with oil. Oil would be poured over his head. It would run down onto his beard on the collar of his robe. And this was a sign of an anointing that had happened from God for him to step into this, into this role to be the high priest. That is the high priest being the mediator between God and humanity, making things right between God and humanity, which would bring joy to God and joy to the people. That was the idea. That's what David is saying here. When we live in unity with one another, it brings that much joy of what took place with Aaron becoming the first high priest. Then he goes on to this mountain illustration, Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon actually is a mountain in Israel. Modern day, it straddles the border between Lebanon and, and Syria. And it's actually the highest mountain in Israel. It's over 9,000 feet above sea level. It's actually home, as far as I know, to the only ski and snowboard resort in Israel these days, something you might have not known before. And the reason why there can be a ski and a snowboard resort on Mount Hermon is because of the amount of rain and then snow that this area actually gets, the amount of precipitation. And this precipitation falls on that mountain and then eventually makes its way down. It flows down from there into all of the rivers and streams, bringing life to everything below Mount Hermon. You see, it gives this picture how good and pleasant, joyful to God, joyful to us because it transforms us, but on top of that, it flows down to transform other people. It's this picture of when the church gets this idea of unity right, it doesn't just make our lives better. It actually makes everyone's lives better by the way that God is able to use the church. It, it transforms us and it transforms culture, society, neighborhoods, cities. That's what takes place when we're actually able to get this right. And this whole subject that David's talking about here in these three short verses is actually something that we see talked about all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, the subject of unity. So, in fact, it was so important. It was one of the subjects that Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples got right, right before he was going to the cross. 
If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, John chapter 13 is the time that Jesus is spending with his disciples in the upper room right before he's going to the cross. And you think about that time. Everything on Jesus' mind right then. He knew what he was about to step into. He knows that these are the last moments that he has with his disciples before their world, think about that, is going to be turned upside down. And the amount they're going to be dealing with, they're going to be fearful, they're going to be confused. And so in these moments, he's trying to hit on the main things. And one of the things that he says there, well, it's from a famous passage that for most of us, we've read many times, chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus says this to his followers, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, Jesus is giving this picture. I mean, all of the disciples, they knew about the idea they were supposed to love each other. They knew the command, love God, all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus upped the game here by saying, no, it's not just love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love everyone the way that I have loved you the way that I sacrifice for you, the way that I am going to give everything that I have for you, the way that I love you even when you don't love me back. He upped the game and changed the way that love was supposed to live. He said, you wanna know what unity looks like? It's when you love each other that way. And when you love each other that way, that type of unity, yeah, that'll transform the world. It's complicated, but it's worth it. Jesus desired for his people to love one another this way. And he said that by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Notice, I think it's always interesting that he didn't say, and it is by what you believe that everyone will know that you're my disciples. No, that's not what he said. He said, it's by the way that you actually love each other, that everyone will know that you're followers of me. This was a radical idea that he wanted to make sure his followers understood. And it's something that I believe is a call on the church that can get so understated. And uh, as Black Hawk Church, this is a major desire for us, that we would be this type of a community, this type of a multi-generational, multicultural community of people who love each other the way that Jesus loved us. There's a... Modern day theologian that I have a a good amount of respect for, who's actually done some work even in our denomination in the past, named D.A. Carson, was writing about this subject of unity in the church, and he said this. Ideally, the church is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, Common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him common allegiance. See, this is the type of church that we desire to be. A church of people who love one another because of the way that Jesus loved us and by that way that we love each other, everyone will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we live that out. You see, the church was never meant to be people who all look exactly the same. You know, I mean, for for me to lead a church of a bunch of middle-aged white guys with tattoos, that would not be all that impressive. You know, 
But God desires for us to be something so much bigger, so much greater than that. And the impact that it has can be absolutely massive. So practically, what's that supposed to look like? Well, let's go back to Ephesians 4 for just a minute. Right to the beginning of the chapter, starting with verse 1, where Paul says this. As the prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How does Paul say to go about doing this? Well, he says, well, be humble. Like, in other words, don't be prideful. Like, don't be a person who's so positive that you're right on everything it is that you talk about. He says, be gentle. In other words, like, are you a person who listens to other people, who is curious about things that people bring up, other Christ followers that you might not completely understand or completely agree with? He says to, to be patient. In other words, not, not so quick to jump in with your opinion. Not so harsh to be able to jump on top of somebody's opinion that you might disagree with so that they understand what you're saying. He says, bearing with one another. In other words, like being a community of people like, who carry each other's struggles or in the game with each other, alongside one another, helping to hold each other up, even though people look different than you do. You see, what he was saying is that if we can be this type of community, one, this is going to be hard. That's the reason why he said, I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why would he say make every effort? Because he knew in order to get this right, this was gonna be really hard and he would need people to make every effort because everything stands in the way of us being this type of people. We gravitate towards people who are just like us. So Paul was saying, I want you to make every effort every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You see, if we can be this type of community, the impact it has could be massive. You know what's one of the places that I have seen this lived out within our church? It, um, is actually, I, I don't know if you're gonna expect I say this, it's actually within our elder board at our church. Now, now some of you, you're like, I didn't even know we had an elder board, you know? So, and for others of you, you might be like, I've heard we had elders. Yeah, we don't really talk about our elders that much around Black Hawk Church, but we have a group of elders. They are the, the, the spiritual leaders making sure that we stay true to our DNA of who God has called us to be. I have a boss. I'm the senior pastor at Black Hawk Church, and I have a boss. It is these people. They are the ones who make sure that our church is headed in the right direction. These are the people who I answer to. And over the last two years, as I co-piloted with Chris, and then I've been on my own, I've had a lot more time to spend with these people. We just did a retreat this past week to spend time together, and we took this picture. So I want to tell you about some of these people. On the, the far left side is Kyle Buckman. Kyle is, uh, is an elder. He's kind of one of our younger guys on the elder board. He's married. He has young kids. Uh, he is a marketing director at the, for the UW Foundation. He raises money for the UW. He has an incredible life story. Battled cancer at an early age. Just has an unbelievable faith. Next to him is Elamay Matsumura. 
LMA is a retired professor at UW. She was uh, in the School of Business teaching classes on accounting and then became an associate dean. Let me just tell you, LMA, there is not a class that she has taught that I would understand in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> She's unbelievable. Next to her is Mike Anderson. Mike is a longtime elder. Uh, Mike is a lawyer for Axley Brindelson. He is an incredible man of prayer and faith, and he argues for a living. So there you go, Mike Anderson. Next to him is uh, Sue Nondal. Sue is a retired pediatrician who did her whole time, or like all of her work here in Madison. My guess is for some of you who are watching right now, potentially you got shots at some point in your life from Sue when you were growing up. So next to her, is Tom Crenshaw. Tom is a professor at the UW in animal sciences. He is the pig guy. Anything you ever need to know about pigs, if anything comes to mind, Tom is your guy to talk to, just an FYI there. Next to him is Rick Badger. Rick was uh, um, in Chicago for a long time as a federal probation officer. He also worked uh, as a pastor in Illinois and Wisconsin, both states. He's been a pastor longer than I have, been in ministry longer than I have, and now works here in Madison as a licensed counselor and therapist in the area. And then next to him is Nancy Lindroth. Nancy, for years and years, was the chief of staff here at Black Hawk Church. She was my boss. And then I was moved to the position of senior pastor right before that she retired, but not long after that she was voted in as an elder. And now once again, she is my boss. So that's our elder board. And the people probably you've never really taken a look at, they're all on our website if you ever wanna find out more information about them. But this is the reason why I bring it up. When you look at this group of people, do you think that they agree on all subjects? Like, do you think that when it comes to the leadership of the church and all the things we should do in the church, that all of these people constantly agree? Do you think that all, like, do you think this group of people agrees on everything politically, votes the same way? Do you think that, like, when it comes to just think about the things we've dealt with in the last two years, two and a half years within our culture, do you think that they all agree with all the ways that they think that things have gone or should have gone? The answer is Absolutely not. These people are different. They think differently. We have big conversations within our elder meetings. It would be so much easier to have a, like a group of elders who all thought the exact same way. We get stuff done so much faster. But the reality is with a community of people like this, the way that God uses them, it's unbelievable. You know why? Because they believe in the idea of love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. These are people who make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. They don't see this idea of unity as just sort of something, yeah, it would be nice to have when we can. No, they see it as mission critical to the way that God desires to use our church. I'll tell you, I'm not just saying this. These are some of the most godly, spirit-filled, prayerful, wise, discerning people I have ever had the chance to spend time with in my life. And their desire for our church is to be a community of people who make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And the reason why is not just because yeah, it's good with God and pleasant with us and we are able to be un unified. No, it goes, it's so much bigger than that. You see, it's complicated. 
Making the dough of this type of community is complicated, but it's worth it. And the reason why it's worth it is because if we can get this right, man, if we can love each other this way, people on the outside of our church who are not a part of Black Hawk Church yet, they will see and experience the way that we love each other and they will long to be a part of it. You see, when we get this right, when we become this type of community, it becomes one of the most attractive things there is about Jesus. Because think about it. I mean, like, newsflash in the world. Anybody surprised to hear, like, we're getting a little more and more polarized? Whatever news channel is making you believe that about the other side, you know? And the more that we separate and the more that we polarize and the more that we ghost each other and the more that we move that direction, the more that the world moves that way, the goal of, of like, culture and society in so many ways right now is just tolerance of each other. That's where the bar's set. <laughs> but what if we can show and display something different? of people who look, think, believe differently about all kinds of different subjects when it comes to culture and society and politics, a community of people who are under the lordship of Jesus who are able to say, I'm in it, to make every effort to build and keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Just imagine what God could do, how he could change our city, our culture, people's lives, helping them to see who Jesus is, that their lives might be transformed. It's complicated, but it's so incredibly worth it. And so what I want to do for a minute, I do want to share with you just a few different ideas of the way that we practically want to try to move towards this as a church in this next season. So I, I, I shared at the beginning, I was going to share some different things, opportunities that you have this coming year, because we really believe that this happens in people's lives in three different ways, really, when it comes to it. If you want to be a community of people who live in unity, you've got to find community. You have to keep learning, and you have to start serving. Finding community, what does that look like? Well, here at Blackhawk, we believe in getting in a group. Like getting into a group, regardless if that is something that you are doing with people here in the room, or if you're a part of our online community, man, jumping into a group on Zoom and being a part of an online community. But we believe in this idea. Now, we have always talked about at Blackhawk that that happens oftentimes through life groups. This, we actually have decided to change the wording of that. We, instead of calling them life groups, we're calling them community groups. There's no big theological reason why. We just think that for a lot of people who are coming in, community groups just makes a little more sense to people in today's day and age. So we're calling them community groups. But the other thing, there are all kinds of different groups that you can jump into. There are, are care groups. There is a Bible study for men and women that is going to be going on. There are all sorts of places for you to get connected to people. But you need to be in community. Because as you're in community, you find out everybody doesn't think the way that you do. And it begins to transform us. That's one thing. Another thing is to keep learning. Now, this is a new area for Blackhawk. I mean, we love gathering on Sundays, but one hour a week for us to be able to really learn and understand what scripture says and how it applies to our lives, it's just not enough. And, uh, and so we wanted to change some of that. And so we're trying something this year that we're really excited about called Blackhawk Courses. And these are going to be six-week courses that you can jump into on all kinds of subjects when it comes to living out our faith, understanding the way that Scripture fits into our lives, getting a good concept of basic theology that we want people to be able to dive into. They're going to be taught by people on our staff and other high-level volunteers, and we think they're going to be fantastic for a six-week period of time. And we'd love for you to be able to jump in and take some of those. And then on top of that, 
It starts serving. Man, in other words, just get into the game somewhere. There is nothing that unifies us more than when we are serving together and serving each other. I'm telling you, there is just something that happens. And look, I, I know that, um, that for a lot of people at Blackhawk, you ha- like, you're fairly new. You started coming during COVID sometime over the last couple of years. For some of you, you're just moving to town because jobs or school's about to start at the UW. And uh, I, I mean, you're new to the community. I want to encourage you anyway to get in the game with us. If you're calling Blackhawk Church your home while you're here, get in and start serving because there is something that God does in our lives when we move this way, when we're able to serve alongside one another. So here's the main thing that I'm trying to say. It's going to take effort. This is not, for, like for this to happen in our church, it is not just going to happen naturally. In the same way that the dough to make the epic gingerbread cookies would never just like show up on its own. And there is a difference between store-brought gingerbread and gingerbread made from scratch. In the same way, it's going to take effort for us to be these type of people. You know, for the people of Israel, as they, you know, think about that. Think about to the people of Israel traveling from wherever they were on their way, ascending to Jerusalem, singing Psalm 133, singing these psalms of ascent. The reality is travel back then for them, it was complicated. It was even dangerous. But they were willing to do what needed to be done in order to be able to take those trips. And as they traveled during these three festivals and they were with people and they were singing and worshiping God together in Jerusalem, they would look at one another and say, yep, worth it. We want to be that kind of community. And so even today, I wanna encourage you, all sites, all venues, all of us, to take a couple of steps even, even today. For any of you here at all sites and venues, people live in the room, right after this service, we're actually going to have a little bit of a party at all three sites. We're going to have some food out, and there's going to be some music on, and uh, if you have kids at any of the sites, go get them first, then bring them up. We will hop them up on sugar and then send you on your way. It'll be fantastic. (laughs) But, But the goal of this time is for us just simply to get to know each other. And so if you haven't been coming around Blackhawk for a while, just come and just introduce yourself to some people. And if you've been coming here for 20 years, you don't know everybody. So go out and get to know some different people and let's just be community that way. That's just one little step that we can take. But then on top of that, you know, this is the point normally where, um, you know, I close in prayer for the message. But in, instead of doing that, just me praying, I wanted us to pray, us, online, sites and venues, everyone here in the room, as one church, all of us together, and to pray a prayer actually from the Book of Common Prayer, a a prayer that has been prayed for generations of Christ followers who desire to be unified together, moving towards God, becoming the type of people that he called us to be. So in light of that, I'd love to ask you to stand right now. Everyone together, in all sites and venues to stand, even if you're watching online at home in your PJs, get out of bed and stand up right now. And, uh, and for us to do this in solidarity together as one community, one body, that God would transform our hearts to be a place that is unified, that loves each other the way that Christ loves us. So let's pray this prayer together right now. Oh God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, 
Give us grace to seriously lay to heart the great dangers we are in by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord. That as there is but one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So we may all be of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity, and may with one mind and one mouth glorify thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, would that be true of our community? We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people together said, amen.